Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett led an elite group of scientists into the desert to develop a top-secret project known as Quantum Leap. Pressured to prove his theories or lose funding, Dr. Beckett prematurely stepped into the Project Accelerator and vanished. In the blink of a cosmic clock, I went from quantum physicist to Air Force test pilot, which could have been fun if I knew how to fly. Fortunately, I had help. An observer from the project named Al. Unfortunately, Al's a hologram, so all he can lend is moral support. Anyway, here I am. Bouncing around in time, putting things right that once went wrong. A sort of time-traveling Lone Ranger with Al as my tanto. And I don't even need a mask. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 17, so help me God. Delilah Berry... You're accused of murdering Houston Palmer Carter on the 15th of June, 1957. Murder? How do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? Not guilty. Why'd you do it? Because you're not guilty. I never said that. Your eyes did. I'm here to save Delilah Berry from the electric chair. I killed him, all right? How many times you gonna make me say it? I killed him! It's all a lie, isn't it? Isn't it? This whole damn confession is a lie, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. Well, Houston went wild. He hit us so hard she fell into the chiffon. I tried to stop him, but he pushed me away. Just kept hitting her over and over. I begged for him to stop before he killed her, but he wouldn't. That's when I picked up the shotgun. <laughs> it was an accident. Order. Order. Was so loud made my ears ring. And then Lila started screaming. Lord child, can you scream? It was an accident. She was trying to save my life. All she was trying to do was save my life. So you see, Eugene, Lila didn't steal the money. I gave it to her. And I'll see that Houston tells you the truth of that soon as he comes home from hunting. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. My name is Albie. And I'm Heather. Today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 9 of Quantum Leap. So help me God. Heather, first impressions. I like this episode. Kind of like To Kill a Mockingbird a little bit. Not as much as I thought it would be like To Kill a Mockingbird, but... I have to admit I haven't seen it or read it. Could you explain how similar it is and how different it is for me? Originally, when I saw the preview, I thought this is going to be a To Kill a Mockingbird episode. Kind of is, but it's not as dark and the outcome is better. Okay. At least that's my opinion. Well, that's why we're here, for our opinion. <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah, the outcome is better, and I think the writing in, the, in To Kill a Mockingbird is not as quantum leapy. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little nicer in this Is in there this a lot episode. of time travel in To Kill a Mockingbird? No. 
Yeah, this uh, episode's a good episode. There's not very many funny or happy parts to it. It's a uh, drama. Oh, yeah. It deals with a lot of topics. Uh, we have racism, rape, abuse of religion, things to do with the justice system and how they weren't always so justice-y. I don't know, town bully? Is that what this captain would be categorized? Yeah. Kind of like a bully. Mm-hmm. Definitely a bully. Capital punishment, a little bit, not so much. There's other episodes that deal with that more. Taking an oath on a Bible. Loss of a child again. Yeah. Domestic abuse, kind of. I don't know if that counts because she was being raped and like held. But they were together. Right. It's very confusing, but definitely some kind of abusive situation. And of course, guns is a big issue in this and air conditioning. (laughs) Yeah. I have to say it was very uncomfortable watching it besides all the bad things that bad people were doing in this episode just because everybody looked so miserably hot. And I feel bad for the actors because it looked like they were miserably hot playing the characters. And there's no breeze here. No. When you're like up north more, I think there's more of a breeze, but I didn't see a breeze in Louisiana either. They did a good job turning California into Louisiana. It looked like it. You know, I have to say I like the twangy music in this episode too. Very good music. Mike Post. It was very um, Huckleberry Finn type music. This episode reminded me a lot of the Futurama episodes with the chicken lawyer. I don't know if that was based on this episode or To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, I yeah, I do I remember that. And I think you're probably right. It's probably based on To Kill a Mockingbird or this episode, quite possibly. <laughs> it's funny because it's a it's a drama, but as Sam was walking around the courtroom, I just keeps flashing in my head, is he a bird? No. <laughs> yeah, I think that we have a lot to cover in this episode because like you said, it touches on a lot of problems and, and Sam was very, you know, had to be very moral in this episode. It kind of showed everybody's moral grounds in this episode and how really off they were. And of course, we will have tons to talk about like we always do. It was a different time and a different place back then. Without air conditioning. Horrible. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk more about that after the episode recap. This is season two, episode nine. So help me God. Original broadcast date, November 29th, 1989. Written by Deborah Pratt and directed by Andy Cadiff. Sam has leapt to Louisiana in 1957 into a defense attorney by the name of Leonard Dancy. His entrance is very poorly timed, as it is during the committal hearing of the Leapy's client, a young black woman by the name of Delilah Lila Berry who is accused of murder and is immediately asked for their plea. Unsure of what to do, Sam looks at Lila and seeing innocence in her eyes, pleads not guilty. This causes uproar in the court. The audience has been expecting and clearly hoping for a guilty plea. As Leonard had struck a deal with the prosecution prior to the hearing, in his chamber, the judge discusses this change of heart with both counsels. He wonders if Sam has ulterior motives for changing the plea, such as Lila putting the moves on him and advises that unless Leonard has a good reason, he should reconsider the prosecutor's offer of 20 years imprisonment for a guilty plea. But the prosecutor, angry and humiliated, rants that now he's going to push for a sentence of death with the electric chair once Lila is pronounced guilty. Sam coolly responds, you're going to have to prove it, her guilt. Back in the courtroom, the judge announces that Delilah will stand trial for the murder of Houston Palmer Carter. Lila angrily asks Sam why he changed their plea, and he responds that it's because she's innocent. She retorts with, I never said that, but their conversation is cut short when the sheriff handcuffs her to be taken back to the prison and tells Sam he can talk to her during visiting hours the next morning. 
Sam is then approached by a well-dressed middle-aged man, clearly very prominent and powerful due to everyone tipping their hat at him. The captain, as he is called, asks if he can drive Leonard home, and despite Sam's immediate dislike, he agrees, mainly because he doesn't know where he lives. During the drive, Captain Carter, who it turns out is the father of Houston, the murder victim, tells Sam that Leonard only has his job because of his friendship to Houston, and explains that since Houston's death, his wife Sadie hadn't been well, and that he offered a plea bargain to not have to put her through a trial. The captain doesn't believe Sam when he answers why he pleaded her not guilty, and like the judge, thinks Sam is enjoying her attention. He doesn't exactly blame Sam for this either, reminiscing how he enjoyed watching her bent over while cleaning the floor. Lilu was one of their maids. They reach Sam's house, and Leonard's wife, Shuggy, who is keen for a country club membership, is so pleased that her husband was seen in the captain's new car, says she was going to bake him a pecan pie and let him play Rhett Butler with her that night. Sam spends the night researching the case and tries to think of some way to help Lila, but all he could remember about Law was what he could remember from a television show he couldn't even remember the name of, until Al shows up the next morning and exclaims, It's Perry Mason! when he sees Sam. Al apologizes for taking so long to get there. He had to deal with Leonard, who was in a bad state in the waiting room. He's not much help to Sam anyway, as they have no idea why Sam leapt there, having already run some scenarios and finding that in the original history, the 20-year plea bargain that was taken was the best possible option anyway due to the overwhelming evidence against Lila. Unfortunately, that no longer is an option with Sam having pled Lila as not guilty. Al is flabbergasted, but Sam argues that after hearing how bigoted this town is towards blacks, and especially Lila, it doesn't make any sense that they would show her mercy. There must be something else going on. He also says what he saw in Lila's eyes, and Al is won over, as he believes the eyes are the window to the soul. Al informs Sam that law is not one of Sam's degrees, but that he has the entire history of law at his fingertips, through Ziggy, and they will blow everyone away at the trial. Needing to do more research, at the police station, he asks to see all of the evidence, such as the police and coroner reports. But the incompetent sheriff isn't sure if Sam has the right to do it. Sam makes the sheriff call his superior to get approval, and when it looks like he would be refused, Sam yells down the phone that he'll have all the evidence subpoenaed and have them both charged with obstruction of justice. When approved, in his mind, Sam thanks Perry Mason. He then goes to the captain's house to speak with their other maid, Myrtle who heard the shooting and is the closest thing to an eyewitness. He is greeted by the captain's wife, Sadie. She talks about how the heat is causing all the flowers to die and wonders if they are ever coming back. On the back porch, Sam speaks with Myrtle, and what she tells him completely contradicts all the information that had been in the confession Lila signed. That she constantly threw herself at Houston, and when he refused her advances, she murdered him in cold blood. According to Myrtle, however, Houston had forced Lila into a dominating sexual relationship when she was 14 that continued for many years, that he had a history of beating her, and that there had been a huge argument that turned violent just before the shooting. Sam tells Myrtle that if she testifies, Lila will be found innocent as she shot him in self-defense, but Myrtle refuses, stating she won't swear on no Bible. When Sam visits Lila in the prison, she says she now knows how the Christians felt. Sam comforts her and says that nobody will throw her to the lions and asks her to confirm what Myrtle had told him. Lila recalls her mother having had to bury 14 children in the bayou where she came from and swore to never go back, so she let him take advantage of her and confirms what Myrtle had said. But for some reason, she too will not testify. At the trial, Sam causes a ruckus when he claims that the jury needs to be replaced as a jury is a trial by peers and since Lila is black, there should be some Negro members. 
Even though this goes down well with the judge, he reminds Sam that to serve on a jury, you need to be a registered voter. And there weren't any Negro voters. So Sam states that they have to reluctantly accept this jury as Lila's equals. The prosecution commences with their case. And when it comes to the confession, Sam objects to having it sworn into evidence as it was written under duress. He tries to get Lila onto the witness stand to defend herself, but she refuses. So Sam asks her to at least read over the confession, and Lila reveals she can't read. The judge calls a recess so that Leonard can decide what to do. Over lunch, Shuggy tells Sam how mortified she was at those nice jury members being told they're equal to that colored whore. And the captain arrives and threatens Sam that much of the legal work in this town comes from his offices, and now most of the work he'll be doing will be pro bono. Sam is unfazed and takes Lila some lunch. He desperately tries to get her to realize that unless she recants the confession, it will send her to the electric chair and reads it out to her. She breaks down when it says, he begged me in the name of Jesus and calls it a lie. Sam thinks he may have won her over, but back at the trial, she still refuses to swear on the Bible. And so the confession is sworn in as evidence. Sam has had a realization. He and Al come to the conclusion that Myrtle and Lila won't swear on a Bible because they fear God so much that they would tell the truth even if it incriminated them or someone else that they care about even more than themselves. Myrtle happens to walk in and apologizes for interrupting his prayer, and Sam says he was praying for a miracle. Myrtle wishes she could help, but she swore to keep something secret and that the person she swore to said if she revealed it, she would go to hell. Ziggy finds something, and Al tells Sam to read a Bible passage to Myrtle that said whatever persuasion he used did not come from God, and that he too would have to face judgment. Convinced, she tells him that last crucial bit of information. The next morning, Sam is running late for trial. They are about to start without him, when Sam runs in and calls Sadie Carter as his witness. This causes an uproar in the court. Lila tells Sam not to, and the captain yells at the judge to put a stop to it. The judge refuses Sam, having no intention of putting a grieving mother on the stand, but Sam had anticipated this. The reason he was late is because he had gone to Baton Rouge to obtain a subpoena and a federal marshal. The judge is unable to stop him, and Sadie is sworn in. Even though she is not in her right mind, she is coherent enough to tell her story. Under oath, she said how much Houston loved Lila and wanted to marry her, but couldn't because she was colored. He loved her so much he hated her for it and beat her often, but never in front of her until that night. She had given Lila some money so that Lila could leave and start a new life, and as they were saying goodbye, Houston returned from hunting, and was so enraged he started beating Lila within an inch of her life and even pushed his mother away. Sadie shocks the courtroom when she recalls, fearing that he'd kill Lila, that she picked up the shotgun and shot Houston, and Lila screams that the gun went off by accident. Sometime after the trial, Sam meets up with Lila at the bus stop, planning to start fresh. She thanks Sam and couldn't be more grateful to Sadie for saving her life twice. She hopes Sadie never remembers what happened. After congratulating Leonard on his new job at a prestigious law firm and the country club membership that comes with it, she offers to send money to Leonard until she has paid him in full for his services. But Sam tells Lila that the only payment he wants is for her to learn how to read, handing her a reader. She enters the bus and from her window waves goodbye and promises to do so, so help me God. And with a final parting wave, Sam leaps. Thank you for that episode recap, Heather. You are welcome. This episode was written by Deborah Pratt, so that's always a good sign. It wasn't really a fun episode, but uh, it was good. I felt for the characters in this episode, it was very dramatic. Horrible things happened in the episode. 
Yeah, but it did have a happy ending. I was very happy for Lila at the end, and I'm hoping that she learned how to read. I think she did. But I was definitely connected to the characters in this. Do you think Sam changed anyone's mind in the town about how they felt about black people? No. Now, I don't think there were as many racists as you kind of imply with that question. I think it was more of a, she doesn't have as many rights as we do, and we're not equals, as much as... In The Color of Truth, it was really about racism. In this one, it wasn't as much about racism as it was about taking the blame for something someone else did. Because she wasn't on trial because she was black. She was on trial because she took the blame instead of Sadie Cotter. Now, her color did affect how the trial went and probably had something to do with the fact that she couldn't read because she wasn't exposed to enough education. And I'm sure that Houston felt like he could treat her that way because of her color. So I'm not saying that race doesn't have anything to do with this episode because it obviously plays a big role in this episode, but it's not as much about racism as the color of truth. I would agree. But she is treated like a second-class citizen because of it, I think. Right. And because she can't read and because she loves Sadie and doesn't want to hurt her anymore, she's not fighting. So that also plays into it because she's a strong woman. She has been through a lot and I love her personality. I love when she was smoking out the window She's like, what is it going to do? Shorten my life. I love her little attitude and she has good character in her. But that also is why she's not fighting for herself. But I feel like if it was self-defense and it wasn't Sadie who shot her son and was trying to save her life, I think that Lila would have fought for herself. I think she took the rap because she feels guilty that Sadie was trying to save her. Right. So she kind of thinks it's her fault. Right. And Sadie is in such a fragile state because, you know, when something happens and it's not your fault, but if you had made different decisions, it might have turned out differently. Right. That's kind of how this works. I mean, if she had taken off earlier before he got home, this would have never happened. If she had just stayed, this would have never happened. Sadie accidentally shot him. She didn't mean to shoot him. So I feel like Lila feels responsible. And especially now that Sadie's kind of lost her mind that she feels like she has to help Sadie. I don't think she was pressured into taking the rap either. I think she volunteered and nobody fought her on it. Right. Like I imagine the scene playing out that the gun goes off and Lila takes the gun from Sadie and nobody questions it. Like I don't I think it was like an unspoken thing. And I just think that Lila at that point was like, you know what? I'm just going to go with it. So do you think it was an absolute accidental shooting? Oh, yeah. So she could have just as easily shot Lila or herself. Right. I'm assuming Sadie's not the kind of woman to know how a gun works. Right. That's why it's always dangerous just to have a gun laying around. Well, he did just come home from hunting. So that's why he had the gun. It's not like he came in the house to shoot Lila or anything. But not defending guns, because I'm right there with you with not having guns in the house. But being in the South hunting, they didn't think anything of it with him walking in with a gun. But, you know, if she hadn't stopped him, he could have killed Sadie even accidentally or Lila in his fit of rage. He pushed his mom away. Right. Into the Shivero. Yes. Do we know what a Shivero is? I have no idea. I, I thought it, at first it was like a feeling you get. <laughs> a shiver. 
yeah. when you're rowing a boat. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Something. Do you know what that is? It is. It's like an armoire. Like okay, okay, that helps me out a lot. Uh, it's very clear to me now. <laughs> it's kind of like a tall cabinet with doors that you put clothes in. Oh, clothes! Like uh, you go to Narnia in. Right. Okay, I got you. I, I did Google it. I thought that it was kind of some kind of furniture, but I did Google it, and it's yeah, like an armoire. So something with a portal in the back. Think of like cabinet doors and drawers on the bottom kind of thing, like a big furniture piece. It just I never heard that word before. I've heard armoire before. Didn't know what it was, but Shivero never heard that word before. Armoire is one of those words I don't like to say, and I've now said it three times, and I just feel like I'm saying it wrong every time. Well, the more you say it, the less it sounds like a word, right? Right. Quantum Leap, not only entertaining, but educational. Oh, yes. Learn all sorts of new vocabulary, like Rhett Butler. Rhett Butler, Yes. Not Red Butler. Which was written in our recap. Right. Which we appreciate that somebody wrote the recap, but they got the whole Red Butler, Rhett Butler thing wrong. Well, I thought Red Butler was a thing. And so when I read the recap, I didn't know that it was wrong until you corrected me. (laughs) Yeah. Red Butler, he is a character played by Clark Gable from Gone with the Wind. I have not seen that movie. It's a great movie. It's a little long, so you got to start it early in the day. It's like an all-day affair. Right. You can't be tired when you start it or you're not going to finish it. Should we have like a viewing party? Yeah, I think so. Have some snacks. And energy drinks. Right. Take a nap during intermission. There, Yeah, there is an intermission <laughs> and a lot of music, so you can. But there's a lot of Gone with the Wind references in this episode. Besides Rhett Butler, they say uh, Fiddle Dee Dee, and he references Scarlett O'Hara later when he's talking to Al about Shuggy. So, so the Rhett Butler reference i am assuming is something to do with sex yes uh because you can play rep butler later which means you know is he like a ladies man it was perceived at the time yes Hmm. i am intrigued i would i I might have to see this movie i have no idea even what it's about i just know what the poster looks like it's romantic it's um very epic for the time and it was uh about the fall of the south during Hmm. the confederate war i believe if my memory serves doesn't sound romantic, but I believe you. Lots of sex and shenanigans going on in the fall of the South. <sighs> More romance. Swooning. Oh, swooning. Swooning is good. I guess back then there wasn't a lot to do, right? So you just farmed and you went around and... <laughs> you farmed and fornicated, yes. <laughs> I like that. And then every once in a while you lit a plantation on fire. <laughs> I have no idea. I wasn't back. I wasn't around back then. It's uh, funny. So speaking of different times i didn't get this reference and obviously the person who wrote the recap didn't get this reference do you think it's because it was aired 25 years ago that somebody my age doesn't get that reference i mean obviously if i'd seen gone with the wind i would get it but another 25 years from now i don't know do you think that the time affects the jokes and the references in a show yes and i'm sure as the years go on that reference will be less and less understood That's the problem when you're writing television or comedy or something and you're dealing with topical. I mean, it wasn't quite topical. It was about 50 years after the movie, but it was still in the minds of everybody because pretty much everybody had seen that movie at that time, I'm assuming. Right. And I think that we've discussed before about, well, I don't remember what I was watching, but a black and white movie, an early black and white movie, and they were actually, maybe it was The Honeymooners. We were watching The Honeymooners, and it was like a stand-up thing, and he was making jokes, and the live audience was laughing. 
and I had no idea what he was talking about. Right. Honeymooners is really good, and they do a lot of jokes that really hold up, but anytime they mention like somebody who was famous or popular at that time, and who knows, they might have been popular for being cheap, like Jack Benny, or somebody was famous for being drunk all the time, like Jimmy Durante at the time. You have to really know a lot about that time to get the jokes, and some of the jokes just go over our heads because there's no way to know the reference. Yeah, I don't know who those people are. <laughs> well, and it's not because I don't want to. Right. I, I just don't have enough time in a day to know all of the references in those time periods. But it's funny because you think about the shows that we watch now that we find funny. <laughs> I'm sure that if our kids were to watch it in the future, they'd be like, I don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, topical humor or topical references won't stand up as much as, say, situational things. Like, I Love Lucy is mostly situational comedy sitcom where she bakes the bread and it keeps coming out of the oven. That's going to be funny a thousand years from now. Right. Because they don't need to know a reference that there's no way to know unless they stop it and look it up. They're like, people used to actually bake bread. What's bread? (laughs) Oh, that was before carbs were outlawed in 2120. (laughs) Yeah, right. Those people used to eat things called bread but i think it kind of works with if you ever watched a kid movie that you saw when you were a kid and you watched it as an adult and it's a completely different movie yes i guess that kind of relates too because if you don't get the joke you don't pay attention to it so it's the same as like a kid's movie because when you don't get the jokes they go right over your head and you're like eh, whatever so i don't think it'll take away from it because i'm sure you loved the lion king when you were little and well you were probably not little when the lion king came out but (laughs) I love The Lion King when I was little just as much as I do now, but I get the jokes. So obviously, not knowing what Rhett Butler meant didn't take away from the episode. I could still figure out that it was something kinky. Just by the way, she was like, fiddle dee dee. That did help. Yeah. And her little flirty face going on. So overall, a rough story, but a happy ending. Yeah. And it was rough for everybody. I mean, poor Sadie. And even Lila said at the end, she hopes she'll never remember it. And I hope so, too. That seemed to be the only way she could deal with it was just to be in total denial. Your brain is a crazy thing that you can just block out whole events. And I like the scene in the episode where Sam goes to visit Sadie and Sadie's talking about calla lilies. But really, she's talking about Houston, about dying and never coming back when she's starting to think about it. Yeah, it's kind of awkward. Right. And with the first viewing, you don't really understand what's going on there. But after the first viewing, you totally understand what's in her brain, I think. Well, you know something's off. Well, you know something's off with her the whole episode because she's looking past everyone. She's in a daze. Yeah, that's freaky. I just want to do that to someone sometime and just like look past them the whole time and see what they think. You did that to me yesterday. It was horrible. It is odd. But it and her eyes were like wide open the whole time. She blinked like twice in the episode. I counted. Who played her? Because she did really, really good. She was played by Kathleen Noon. Well, she did great. And I totally believe that she was a grieving mother who lost her mind. There was a lot of great acting in this episode. Myrtle's description of Houston getting his face shot off, like the fact that he didn't have a face, that was insane because I totally believed the story she was telling. I was there with her looking at faceless Houston. Myrtle was played by Ketty Lester, and she gets from me the best actor award of the episode because I'm right there with you. Quantum Leap started off kind of like a great adventure television show, but while you're watching it, the first season or so, it's a television show, and it doesn't seem quite real. But for me, 
maybe from Jimmy forward, it really seems like it's realistic. I don't know if everybody's figured out what they're doing, but the show for me just is a lot more real. And in this episode, when Keddy Lester as Myrtle was describing Houston not having a face, I wasn't thinking, wow, she's really a great actress. I was thinking of what actually happened when Houston didn't have a face in the whole scene just because she was describing it so well that I felt at that time watching it that it really happened. Yeah, when her face goes back, she's telling the story and then she says about the fact that he didn't have a face and then her head like her head goes back and she just makes this face. I, I man, I felt for her. It was uh, traumatic watching her tell the story and she was the maid and she didn't even see it happen and that's how traumatic it was for her so imagine lila and sadie how traumatic it was for them to be there and sadie and lila are kind of in this together because they were both there and i'm sure that's why lila's protecting her too because she's just a stronger person you know having to bury all her brothers and sisters and go through all that grief before i also feel that Lila thinks that if the truth does come out, that it will really hurt Sadie a lot more because she'll actually know what happened. Right. And that's why the captain didn't want to go through with the trial because he didn't want her to realize. But notice that Sadie says that she's coming to help Lila because she doesn't want people to think that Lila stole money from her. That's what she thinks the trial is about. Did you hear her say that? Yeah. That was good writing because otherwise she would know why she's there. So she needed something to think why she was there and what's going on. Well, I don't think Sam told her that. I think she came to that conclusion all on her own. Oh, yeah. That's what she told herself in her brain, that this whole trial was about the money that she gave Lila. Right. So I just can't imagine like having to deal with somebody like that, because what do you do? You don't want them to remember, really. So do you just keep painting the pretty picture? I'm reading a book right now. I know it's kind of off topic, but it really kind of has to do with the same thing. In the book, it's about a teenage girl and her younger brother died and her mom is a painter and all she keeps doing ever since her brother died is painting picture after picture of her brother, but she can't ever get the eyes right. And the daughter just keeps giving her more canvases and more paint because that's how she's coping. But the dad ends up calling in like psychologists and they take her to a mental hospital because they said she actually has to deal with it and it's going to suck and it's going to hurt, but she's got to deal. But I can't imagine having to make someone face that. You know what I mean? Like your son died, get over it. <laughs> like I think everybody's going to be delicate around Sadie and try to just let her deal with it on her own. I don't think anyone's going to try to make her face it. And I think at the time and the situation and the town they're in, I don't think anybody's going to put Sadie on trial for murdering her son. I think they're going to understand it's an accident and yeah. she's got issues and it's not like she's going to go shooting other people. It was right. an accident because there was a gun laying around and it was Houston's gun. It's not like she's a gun collector. Right. And I still think it would go under self-defense anyway because she was defending herself and Lila. Right. So I don't think a prosecutor would file an indictment against her. I'm thinking everybody in the courtroom was on Sadie's side anyway. I mean, they all tried to protect her to begin with. So I think that even though they know that information now, I don't think that anybody's going to really want to hurt her. And, you know, the whole thing is they're not going to want to punish her because she's already has as much punishment as she can living with the knowledge or 
the denial, but eventually the knowledge of that she killed her son. So you think one day she's just going to wake up and know? Like, uh, Oh, sure. Is that how that works? That you just go into denial until your brain says, okay, it's time for you to process this? Yeah, and it's horrible and it's tragic, but eventually she'll be okay, I think. Man. I know that we've dealt with parents that have lost children in right. Thou Shalt Not, but this almost seems worse. Like, the dad in Thou Shalt Not was in denial, but not to this extent. Right. And this almost seems more dramatic because well i mean it is i mean she shot her son not someone else but this seems so much more traumatic because you just put off the inevitable that you're going to suffer through it and you're going to have to feel the pain it's a lot different making a decision letting someone go on vacation versus actually being the one responsible for accidentally shooting your son's face off but again it's a mother losing a son and that seems to be a little bit of a running theme right now well, both episodes deal with how the parents coped. And I know that we've said before, I can't even imagine having to go through that. But your brain has to do what it has to do to get you through it. You know, like we're meant to survive and <sighs> got to do what you got to do, right? <laughs> I'm sure it's part of a evolutionary thing how we did learn to survive because uh, early on in human existence, I'm sure a lot of tragic things happened, like loved ones just got eaten by animals all the time or fell off cliffs. And you had to struggle and keep going and keep going to let your line survive. Now, I'm not starting a vaccine debate or anything, but before vaccinations were around, the rate of children dying from smallpox and polio and, and all of those plagues that went through Europe. I mean, we've had so many plague type diseases that have killed young children and, you know, even older adults, they have low immune systems. They can't deal with a disease like that. And so I'm sure young children passed away a lot. Well, not even vaccines and plagues, but even things like antibiotics weren't around not too long ago. My mother actually lost one of her sisters at a very young age because she got strep throat. Back when my mom was a little girl, if you got strep throat, it was a death sentence because there was no antibiotics. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I've had strep throat pretty bad and you get a shot and you're okay. I've had strep throat probably five times. So if it wasn't for antibiotics, I'd be dead. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because we, we sometimes in our society now over medicate for things like that. But you can see why. I mean, I know that we get antibiotics sometimes for colds and they actually don't do anything, but build up our tolerance for antibiotics. So we don't want to get too far away from that. But, you know, it's a, a delicate balance. But having your kids die from something that you could prevent is kind of silly. So losing a child, a bad thing. Yeah, especially when you are the one who shoots them. Um, which brings up another topic, uh, which is a sensitive topic right now in the United States, at least, which is uh, gun control and all the bad things that are happening because people have readily available guns around. Right. So I don't want to talk too much about it because we're going to get letters, but uh, I just want to say it's not a good idea to have loaded guns just sitting around. I don't think that that is the debate. The debate is that people think that they should have guns. Now, I have no problem with somebody else having a gun far away, I guess, if it's locked away and whatever. But if my kid comes over your house and there's a gun out and there's too much at stake, all of our lives are precious. You think that you having a gun makes you safer, where if we all just didn't have them, I feel like we would all be safer. And I think that that's 
that's my side of the argument. And I know that there are people who don't agree with me and a lot of the country doesn't agree with me. But if you watch videos of kids, they have one that sticks out in my mind of they take a few kids at a time, put them on a hidden camera in a classroom. They tell the kids not to touch the gun if they see one and there's one hidden in the room and they find it. And even without knowing how guns work or anything like that, they pick it up and they point it at each other. Now, when you're a kid, you don't realize that this is all you have. Like, (laughs) you don't realize that you shoot someone and they're gone. So that's my concern. I mean, people having guns is scary, but an adult with the right state of mind having a gun and it being locked away in case of an emergency or in case they want to go hunting or whatever is one thing. When you get to people who are not in the right state of mind or you are around children and it's there and your children know where how to get into the safe or they know how to access your gun, that's when you get into dangerous situations. Well, my opinion, of course, is I'm not a fan of guns because they really don't do anything good. They're not used for planting flowers or making cotton candy. They're used for hurting and killing. Most guns were manufactured to be more efficient at killing people. Right, or animals or something, trees. I don't know what people kill, but it's all about killing and hurting. It's not about helping. Right. You know, know, they're not Band-Aids. They're the opposite, I guess. Right. If you watch the Penn & Teller show, uh, B.S., we'll say. Um, There's a good show about gun control. And uh, before that episode, I didn't think people should have the right to bear arms. I disagreed with the Second Amendment myself personally. But if you watch that, you understand what it's about. And that's uh, why it says, you know, if you're in a well-regulated militia, you have the right to bear arms. It's set as a check and balance for government to be kind of scared of their people and not to take advantage of them because they know that if they go too far, the people will rise up and fight back. So in that sense, it makes sense why they wrote that as an amendment to the Constitution. But just everybody having one and freely available for people to grab and walk into schools or movie theaters and shoot people, just it's not a good idea. So I think a lot of people miss the part about a well-regulated militia because I don't know about many of those that are out there. And if they do have one, they usually get taken down by the government, so. Well, what scares me is the people that you know have a short fuse and you know that their gun is in their car or is in the, is at their home and you know that they have a short fuse and they're about to lose their mind. That's what scares me because they right. might have been okay when they got the gun. But look, Sadie shot her son accidentally in a fit of right. craziness and, th- and here people are lose their minds every day. That wouldn't have happened if... The gun wasn't just sitting there. Right. And I know it was only meant to kill, who knows, deer or beaver or whatever he was hunting. But still, it's about killing. And I'm I'm not for killing. I'm pretty sure it's harder to accidentally shoot someone with a bow and arrow than it is yeah. to... <laughs> yeah, because you actually have to pull back the yeah. arrow. Unless now with the new preloaded ones, I guess, or probably the last thing I'll say about it is if you look at the homicides and accidental deaths in the United States versus the UK, where you can't just freely have a gun in the UK. Right. The numbers are staggeringly different, and it makes you want to move to the UK because you have a lot less chance of getting killed on purpose or accidentally by firearms. Every time there's a school shooting or anything like that, I don't want to leave my house. Well, don't get me wrong. That whole thing that happened in Newtown, by that point, with everything happening, like in the movie theater, I'm against guns 100%. Nothing good comes of them. Yeah, well, and and I know that it... For people that have guns or they have a different opinion on this, 
I just don't see it. I know that maybe if you were brought up being around guns and, and learning the safety of them and whatever your reasoning may be, maybe I just don't have that same mm-hmm. perspective because I wasn't raised around guns or anything like that. Maybe that's why. I fear for my daughter's life, it's scary to send your kids off to school thinking that maybe they won't come home. Yeah. I know for a fact, since I don't allow guns in my home, that no one will accidentally get shot by one of my guns. It's just one of those things, like we talked a few episodes back, about making a decision and what can happen because of that decision down the line. Yeah. So nobody will be accidentally shot through the back of the head. Right. So, in our house, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> not, not unless someone brings one in. So, right. And that's not up to us. Right. Um, so remember, send all your letters to quantumlypodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. I'm just, you know, it's my opinion. I'm a pacifist. I don't believe in violence. And I believe in good things and not bad things. Yeah. So. Why can't we all just get along? Exactly. We'll just sing kumbaya in a circle. We'll be okay. So now that we're past that topic, which I was worried about. Eh, you can't please everybody, right? No. So we covered racism a little bit, guns. Uh, There's also an issue of uh, abuse of religion. Now, you know, there's many good things uh, about religion and some bad things about religion. Hayden will actually talk about this more later in his segment. Using someone's religion and somebody's faith against them to pressure them to do something that you want them to do is a very bad thing, I think. And that's one thing that this episode focuses on also, because the captain, Colbert Cotter, actually uses religion against Myrtle and Delilah by making them swear on the Bible that if they tell the truth, they'll go to hell. Yeah, he must hold some power if he's controlling who's going to hell or not. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Well, that's why it's good that Al brings up a different passage uh, later on that lets them know that what he did was wrong. So the captain was very wrong in this. The captain actually mentions in the drive home with Sam that she shot my boy, Leonard. So do you think the captain thought that she was the one that actually pulled the trigger? I'm not sure, because he looked scared when Sadie got on the stand. But like I said, when I imagine the scene, I imagine Lila taking the gun from her and then everybody comes in. Right. And she just went with it. Right. Now, I don't know if he had them swear on the Bible to protect Sadie in any way possible. I don't know what he had them swear. You know what I mean? Because I don't think Myrtle knew the truth. And I don't think very many people besides Lila knew that Sadie did it because the courtroom was shocked when she revealed that information. And the captain might have known because he really didn't want her on the stand. But he was trying to protect his wife. Yeah, which I mean, I can understand. But did he know? And that's why he was trying to protect her or I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I would think maybe he knew, but he was still grieving, too. Otherwise, why would he make Myrtle swear? Well, that's what I'm saying. And also, why was he so adamant on her not going on the stand? Now, the judge said he didn't want to make a grieving mother go on the stand. But in any other case, if she was an eyewitness, she would have to go on the stand, whether she is a grieving mother or not. If someone shot your kid, you're going to want to go on the stand and make sure that they pay for what they've done. Can we talk about the judge? I really love the judge in this episode. I think he was being fair and honest. I don't think he knew that Delilah wasn't guilty or he wouldn't have let what happened happen. I don't think he was in on it. And I also don't think that he knew that she couldn't read. Therefore, the confession was false. 
You bring that up, and uh, I think this is one point where Deborah Pratt might have missed, or she might have had it in there, but it didn't make it into the episode. I think a dramatic part in that would have been having Delilah read the confession. Well, and he, Sam tried to make her read the confession, and she said she couldn't read. Right, but have her stand up in front of everybody and say, could you please read this confession and make sure it's your own, like, out loud? Yeah, but she could have been lying. That's why Sam had Sadie go up, because he said they're not going to believe anything that Lila says because they're going to think that she's lying. Because you can stand up and go, I can't read this. I never wrote it because I can't read. Okay. You can't prove that you can't read. Well, if it was acted right, everybody would believe her. But the thing about that is, and maybe why they didn't use it, is because if you had that moment, you wouldn't have the moment later where Sadie said, and that's when I picked up the shotgun. That was crazy. That was a very dramatic moment. Right. So you can't have both moments, I don't right. think. But I, I would have rather had the Sadie moment. Okay. So maybe it wasn't a miss. Maybe it was just something that... But the first time you're watching it, you're going, why isn't... Just prove that she can't read, you know? The judge was played by William Schaubert. I want to pronounce that right. And I really liked him because I recognized him from the Star Trek, the original series episode, The Trouble with Tribbles. I knew I recognized him. Is that where I recognize him from? I think so, because he looked pretty much the same. And he, you know, he's got a very long and uh, prestigious career. He was in so many things, like uh, the Patty Duke show is one of the things he's most famous for, Dobie Gillis, but he's been in so many things. But to me, he will always be the guy who ran Space Station K7 in The Trouble with Tribbles. I like that episode. Yeah, it's a good episode, funny. But a lot of good actors in this episode, and that's one thing about Quantum Leap. I think, as the series goes on, and you'll see... They get the best of the best actors to play, you know, minor roles or supporting roles, but it makes the whole world of Quantum Leap so much more real. Yeah, there's always really good actors in each episode, and they portray such awesome characters. Like this one, there's a lot of believable scenes, just like we were talking about earlier with Myrtle. They obviously have some tough auditions (laughs) that they have to go through to get the perfect people. We got to give credit to the casting director yes yes. Yes. they do a great job every time we watch an episode of quantum leap we always look up the guest stars and then we look them up on imdb and see what they're in and i mean really a lot of accomplished actors now the woman who plays lila tyra farrell she's really pretty and everybody in the episode thinks that the reason leonard is trying to help her is because that he might be getting some on the side or she might be giving some advances and it's not just some people, but every male in the whole show mentions it, even down to the deputy in the office. Well, and it seems that she kind of has a reputation. Because of being with Houston, but that wasn't up to her, really. Yeah. It was weird because in the scene where Sam is asking her about what happened and she's smoking a cigarette, I was thinking, wow, she's a really beautiful lady. But I also felt a little bit guilty because of what her character had been through. I was like, am I one of these men that are just seeing her as a hot chick, let's say? Yeah. So I felt a little bit guilty. But then I was like, no, wait, she's an actress. So it's okay. She's pretty. Right. (laughs) Well, she's obviously had to get used to being treated that way if it all started when she was 14. So this episode's about abuse also. And uh, her actually thinking she's in love with this guy who raped her and abuses her. Well, that's the only love she's ever known. That's what Myrtle says. Isn't there a term for that? Well, if she was a hostage, it would be Stockholm Syndrome, right? 
Yeah. I I don't think she's like a hostage literally, but I think she's a hostage in the situation because she doesn't see any way out. And at that time, she might not have had a way out. Lila was basically trapped in that situation. Well, she didn't want to get sent back to the bayou and she didn't have enough money to get out on her own. So technically, she was stuck there. So Stockholm Syndrome, I think, would apply, I think. Ish. Unless there's another thing that that is other than being in an abusive relationship. Yeah, a lot of times when you're in an abusive relationship, you think that the trouble you're in, you know how to handle it. So it's scarier to leave it because it might get worse on the outside. Like we talked about in the Kamikaze Kid. Right. It's, uh, hey, everything's coming together, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, These issues keep coming up over and over again, but in a very entertaining way. And in different forms. Yes. So you see all the variations of what things are bad and how to fix them, maybe. And also disguised in a very entertaining package that you don't have to feel like you're being schooled. Right. A lot of times with Quantum Leap, you don't realize that you're receiving a message. I mean, we were looking for it. We always ask ourselves while we're watching it, what are the moral lessons we can learn from this episode? But if you're just watching it for entertainment, then I don't think you actually see it as preachy as much as just a nice drama or comedy or action, depending on the week. Uh, Did you see any other important topics in this episode? Well, I know that they touched on the fact that she can't read. So um, I know I kind of mentioned that with the confession, but I guess it was just because she wasn't exposed to education. It was harder to get an education back then for black people in the South, especially being female. Yeah. Well, I don't know what a reader is. I I heard that. Is that just another name for a book or is that a a teaching tool? I believe it's a book that has like a picture of an apple and it says apple underneath it and it has a picture of a dog and it says dog underneath it. So you can teach yourself to read. I had one of those when I was a younger kid, and I actually gave it to a cousin-in-law of mine that was from Korea, and that helped her learn English. Oh, that's pretty cool. I've I've actually never seen one before. I mean, I've seen, like, baby books with pictures and words and stuff Same like that. Same kind of thing, I think. Okay. Maybe I've just never heard the word in reference to that, but I, I can't imagine not being able to read. I started reading when I was three. I mean, reading is such an amazing ability, because even if you just read for fun, it's such an escape to another world. And look, she was going to go to jail for 20 years because she couldn't read and she didn't know what the confession said. So they wrote a confession for her and said, sign this. And she just signed it. And how did she sign her name? I guess that's something you learn. May, or maybe they just signed it for her. <laughs> it's very possible. Because who, who was going to you know say anything besides Sam? Ironically, the confession is what saved the day because they said... In the name of Jesus in the confession. Yeah, and that she was not okay with. That offended her, so... Well, because it was a lie. Right. Delilah didn't know what to do when that happened, and that was really the catalyst for everything that happened after. Yeah, well, she didn't really stand up for herself at all, but I know that that was the first moment in the episode where she was like, wait a second. (laughs) They said what? (laughs) Because, you know, she was just trying to do the right thing, but her feelings for her religion are strong enough that to swear on God with their lie, that's when she was against it. Uh, The only other really uh, important topic that wasn't really brought up verbally, but visually the whole time was air conditioning and how important it is. Oh man, they were miserable. Everybody looked so hot and sweaty in the episode. It just made me feel hot and sweaty. Yeah, like I wanted a glass of cold iced tea just from watching that episode. 
I couldn't imagine living in that time where everything was just so hot that you just sweated profusely. And then you wore coats and jackets and shirts and undershirts and t-shirts and hats and ties on top of all that just to sweat more. Why was that the proper thing? Like, why was it, was it written down somewhere? We should all wear long sleeves and 19 layers of clothing to look proper in the 105 degree weather. I think it made sense at the time up north where it was cold. Yeah, but it still gets hot in the summer. Right. But that's when you just wear the tank top. Yeah. And, uh, you know, do your best to not perspire. Yeah, but I mean, long sleeve shirts... In a closed off building with fans going, which is just blowing around the hot air. I mean, I would hold court outside at this point. Something. Because <laughs> at least outside there's a breeze. Inside with closed doors. And it didn't look like the windows were even open. So enclosed room, a big enclosed room with like 50 or so odd people all sweating together. I could not live in that. I would have to move up north if that was the case. Alaska, here we come. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying Anchorage, let's check it out, you know, but not just sit and sweat all day, every day. What's funny is I learned in second grade that when you fan yourself, you just actually exert more energy. So you're not even cooling yourself off. You're making yourself hotter. I think at the time, maybe people just didn't know it was possible in life not to be hot and sweaty. We are definitely spoiled now. Yes, I hate the heat. When the air conditioning stops working in the car or the house, it's the end of the world. It really is. You need air conditioning in today's times, I think. I remember a couple of summers ago, our air conditioner did not work. And I think we lasted three days. Uh, Oh, is that when I was sleeping on the tile floor? Yeah. Almost naked. Yeah. I think I wore like (laughs) summer. Now, I am not a dress person, Uh but I had like summer dresses. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah. I'm glad we don't live in those times. No. Yeah. And... I still, I would revolt somehow and not wear 19 layers of clothing. No, not at all. (laughs) I would be like, you know what? I'm already sweating halfway through getting dressed. I don't think I'm going to put the suit jacket on. (laughs) Even though they were light colored because they're in the South. Still. Do you take cold showers in in that time? I don't know if people bathed a lot back then or not, but I would have. I think I would just stay in the cold shower. <laughs> just, just get ice delivered and stay in an ice tub. Right. Feeling a little warm today. I'm going to stay home in my ice bath. Thanks. <laughs> so overall, what did you think of this episode, Heather? It was a good episode. You know, it's not up there with my favorites, but it, it was it was good. I mean, it had really good moral lessons. It was very To Kill a Mockingbird-ish, not exactly. And it wasn't as dark as I remember To Kill a Mockingbird being. I know you haven't seen a red about To Kill a Mockingbird, so I won't spoil anything. The situation is similar. Like they said, I want to do a To Kill a Mockingbird episode, and then they changed the details. But it was good. It was a good episode. I like the ending. I did not see the mom's fault coming. Like, I I really didn't think she did it. I thought Lila did it by accident in self-defense. Didn't see the mom killing the son. So that was a good shocking moment for me. So... Any time that I get shocked is always a thumbs up for me. A very good reveal. And I had watched the episode before you did. So I knew that part was coming. So I was watching your face when that part came and you were like, ah. Yeah, I was like, oh man. Before I knew To Kill a Mockingbird was a movie or a book, I just thought it was an alcoholic beverage. (laughs) Tequila. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, Tequila Mockingbird, that's probably going to get you drunk. That's funny. My seventh grade teacher would read us stories and then we'd watch the movie because I had an awesome seventh grade class. 
And we actually read a lot of books like that and watched a lot of historical movies. Not Gone with the Wind because probably it would have taken all of our school day. But To Kill a Mockingbird was one of those books that we read and then saw the movie in class. So I really want to watch it. Yeah, it's good. They haven't redone that one lately. You know, they're redoing all the movies. Maybe that'll mm-hmm. be on the list soon. <laughs> yeah, but it takes place in the future. And instead yeah. of the lawyer being a big chicken, it would be a <laughs> android. <laughs> it's funny when you the only things you know about something is the references you've seen in Futurama or Family Guy. <laughs> right. I know about To Kill a Mockingbird from Futurama. So let's uh, talk a little bit about more of the specifics of the episode. I really liked the mirror gag they did in the beginning of the episode where Leonard was looking in the mirror. And usually they do that with a doubled room, but they just did it with the actor who played Leonard, Travis Michael Holder, switching places with Scott Bakula while they were swinging the camera around. So that was nice. Yeah, and they only did it once. I think that they've we've gotten it now. You know what I mean? Like with Jimmy, they did have to show more than once, I think, just because of the situation. But with Leonard, he's just another dude. I like the fact that Leonard didn't know where he lived and he mentioned it, which is something we talked about in Thou Shalt Not. Yeah, because really, unless he leaps into his home, how is he going to know? Unless Leonard was going to tell him, but he was back at headquarters, not speaking. So I like the shot that they did with Al appearing in this episode. They didn't have to use a visual effect. He was just positioned behind a tree at the angle to the camera when the camera was going on a dolly track. He just started walking when Scott Bakula walked past him and they did the little sound effect and that was really nice. Yeah, I like that. So good job, Andy Kata, for directing this episode and giving us those shots. A couple of things I want to mention. Speaking of Al, he had some crazy outfits as always, but I liked both of his outfits. He had like the crazy yellow pants on and his other outfit had the tie go through like a slot in his shirt. <laughs> We've seen that before, but not with the three buttons on it, which I thought was cool because that matched the collar that each side of the collar had three buttonholes and three buttons. Yeah, it was more elaborate of a of an outfit this time. I really like that. I would actually buy a shirt with extra buttons on the collar. Like Do you that. think the costume designer for the show was just having a ball designing his outfits? I really do. Yeah, that was Jean-Pierre Dorliac, and uh, Dean Stockwell actually in interviews has given him credit for taking the whole reins of making Al's outfits crazy and futuristic, and he gives full credit to the costume designer. That's really awesome. In this show, you have to match the time period of the past, but then you also have this futuristic freedom. So that's awesome that you have two completely different jobs that are both really cool. Because I'm sure as a costume designer, you like to do period pieces, especially if you sign on for Quantum Leap. You know you're going to have to do different time periods. But how cool is that, that you do a different time period every show, and then you also have the freedom to design whatever you want him to wear. There's no rules. He has lightning bolt ties, Swiss cheese ties. You know, he's always dressed nicely, but still with a cool futuristic flair. And Al's wardrobe really has become another character on the show. It's always something you're looking for. Like, what's Al going to wear this week? Yeah, and then he walks on screen. You're like, wow, I like that one. And I like this about it. And And even when you go to different Quantum Leap websites with episode guides, there's separate sections just for what Al was wearing in that episode. I'm sure that they all had fun, like, collaborating on what he was going to wear next. The jacket he was wearing in the first time he appears when Sam's talking about Perry Mason... It looked very 90s to me, like that 
mauvish blue couch material. Well, the 90s were the future to right. this show. <laughs> Only by a few months this time. We're getting really close to the 90s now. I liked in this episode where Al was talking about Leonard back in the waiting room. It lets us find out a little bit more about what Al does besides help Sam out. Yes, you you know I always love the behind-the-scenes stuff they talk about. So whenever they talk about back in the waiting room, I love that kind of stuff because we don't get to see it very often. So whenever we get little details, that's pretty cool. Did you get the reference to Sheriff Lobo in this episode? I don't know who that is. It was a TV show. I want to say 80s. And uh, Claude Akins was in it. And it was called The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo. And it was kind of like a comedy about a police force show. Sheriff Lobo is like the weirdest name ever. That's another thing that was probably in the collective consciousness at the time. So it was funnier where when you heard it, it just uh, you glanced over it because you don't know the reference. Yeah, I just thought that was a weird name, but... (laughs) But look it up on YouTube. It's got a really cool theme song. Okay. Every episode, no matter what happens, Al is an astronaut. He's the pro of whatever, or Sam has a degree in it. And there's always, always something that between Sam and Al, they've done it before. They have a degree in it. That's their past life. They're, you know, they always are some kind of professional in every single thing they've had nine lives by now and have had millions of careers except being a lawyer finally something that neither one of them did before neither one of them is a lawyer this i think this is a first because in every other episode where one of them has to be knowledgeable in a subject they are one of them is so did you like that I did, just because it was something new. Al was like, no, you actually haven't been a lawyer. And I was like, hey, for once. (laughs) It wasn't one of his six degrees. Right. (laughs) So in the meantime, between Al's first visit and second visit, he went and got all the law books and put them on his handheld unit. I still think that Ziggy is like the cooler 80s version of Google. Maybe more like the computer Watson. Was that the one that was on Jeopardy? Yes. Okay, yeah, exactly. Because uh, with Watson, you could ask him a question and he could pull from all the other resources and put it together almost as an artificial intelligence, kind of a little bit. He could connect the dots. Whereas if you just had all the law books on the hand link, you would still have to read them just like you had all the books on a stack on a table. We're getting one step closer with Siri and the Siri-ish thing on the Android. Yes, you, you mix Siri with Watson and I think you have Ziggy. The Ziggy hand link. We're getting closer to the hand link. We just now have to figure out how to read blinky lights. Right. You use Calibre to transfer legalese into blinkies. Oh, good to know. Speaking of the courtroom stuff, did you notice the stenographer in the episode? No. Not typing. She Her fingers were typing over the keys, but never touching so no the keys. noise. Right. And again, back then you couldn't see it, but now it's very obvious. So if you watch the episode again... I'm going to have to rewatch it because... That's I'm I'm surprised I missed that. Very few things lately take me out of an episode, but I was like, okay, that's because it would make noise and mess up the soundtrack. So I understand why she did it, but maybe they shouldn't have had that in the shot. Yeah. Well, because now with the keyboard, it would be quiet enough. It would be little ticks in the background, but with a typewriter, you can't quietly be on the typewriter. Um, Other random things that I noticed in the episode, when Sadie was talking about the calla lilies, 
I just found out recently from our Facebook group, actually, when Hayden posted a screen cap of his conversation on the Facebook of Deborah Pratt about calla lilies, is that they're her favorite flower. So this episode written by Deborah Pratt, again, it's her favorite flower, so she put calla lilies in this episode. So they they come up in another episode, but at least in this episode. You know, I'm, I'm sure that when you're writing something and you have to think of a flower, I'm sure your favorite one comes to mind first. A lot of people might not know this about me, but I write a lot of things. And of course, I always try to put in either people I know or things that I like. That's what you do. Yeah. Uh, that's just a keyword now I'll be looking out for. Mm-hmm. Like when I watch Castle, I look for the number 47. Or brown coat references. Exactly. <laughs> uh, there's no brown coat references in Quantum Leap so far. Yeah, that's probably due to the timeline of it. Time travel. Okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> Towards the end of the episode, when Sadie got on the stand, I liked the part where Lila was uh, getting emotional and that one tear came down her face. Yeah, and it wasn't sweat. It was really a tear. (laughs) I wasn't sure for a second, but it was a tear. Again, great actors. They can do that kind of thing. Yeah, you could see how close she was to Sadie and how it was affecting her that Sadie was telling the truth to help her. Tuning into Sci-Fi TV. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Brent Barrett. I'm Kevin Batchelder. I'm Wendy Hembrock. The viewer's guide to genre television. Welcome, everyone, to a special supernatural focus bonus Hello, everyone, show. and welcome to The Faith Files. A family of podcasts for the genre-loving television viewer. Welcome to Saturday Bee Movie Reel. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Study welcome Group. Welcome to the top genre characters of all time countdown. And tonight, we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones Season 3. Find us at TuningIntoSciFiTV.com. We have some amazing news. Heather has a brand new blog. It's located at www.stayingafloatmom.com. It's a mom blog. Can you tell us a little bit about your new blog, Heather? Being a mom is pretty cool. I think that I relate to a lot of other moms, and I'm quite funny sometimes on paper when I can edit the sentence a few times. Uh, The about the blog and the about me are probably my favorite parts of the blog right now. It's new, so I I would love to hear comments or anything like that. Feel free to comment on the post. I talk about my kid and post articles that I read that I find interesting or have something to say about. It's pretty cool. And even if you're not a mom, you could check it out. I've heard good things from people who don't have kids and from even dads. Because, you know, you're still in this the whole parenting thing too it's really good i like it i hear a lot from people that their favorite part of the quantum leap podcast is hearing what you have to say and uh, your journey through quantum leap so if you want to find out more about heather her life and being a mom yeah and some good coupon deals when i find them yes which is important yeah what did you put on there recently like books you read all kinds of stuff yeah so it's a it's a really cool thing and if you would like to check it out it's at stayingafloatmom.com because heather's just one mom trying to stay afloat like we all are. This is Terry Hanauer, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Now we have some feedback. And this is exciting because this is the first time we get to hear Juan on the podcast. Juan normally does our research for the podcast, and recently he's also been helping with editing the previews for the next episode of Quantum Leap, and what we call the reviews is the audio clips at the beginning of the episode that remind you what happened in the episode. But this is going to be his first voice work he did for us, which is his first voice work he did anywhere. It's his debut. So we're excited for that. And what is he reading, Heather? He is reading Father Beast's essay. 
It is from our essay contest, What Quantum Leap Means to Me. Yay, we have a new essay. So, a Father Beast has won a Quantum Leap comic book. Congratulations, sir. This is What Quantum Leap Means to Me by Father Beast. Read by Juan. What Quantum Leap Means to Me by Father Beast. When I first started watching Quantum Leap, it was a fun time travel show. Though I was a little disappointed that it was only covering a small piece of history. But I got over that fairly quickly. One of the things about Quantum Leap is that it deals with the little people. The kind of folk that don't make headlines, and that most of us would never have heard of even if they had been real, and would never make the history books. But that became one of the endearing things about the show. In the course of an hour, we come to know a handful of ordinary people and care about their lives, probably due in part to the fact that Sam cares. I always loved the time travel aspect, but slowly became converted to the story of Sam being the angel that enters people's lives, helps out in some way, and then leaves. Since Sam is an ordinary guy, this lends itself to the idea that I can be a little bit of a help in the places that I travel through. And if I bring a smile to someone I only meet for a few minutes, perhaps I've become a bit like a traveling angel. A bit like Sam. I once imagined my wife quantum leaping into the mother of a boy who had killed himself while my wife was in high school. The way I envisioned it, she would not be there to prevent his death, but to give him a good funeral, instead of the travesty she remembers. Perhaps the biggest impact of the show is in how it informs my personal decision making. The villains in Quantum Leap are generally not out to ruin people's lives, but rather folk who let bad things stand because they just don't care, and folk who do selfish things without regard for consequences, and folk who do and say hurtful things because they don't think about it. Each one of those things is a personal warning to me. I don't have a guy from the future with a supercomputer telling me the results of my actions, so I have to guess for myself. Will this time that I speed or run a stop sign be the time that kills an innocent? I just don't know. So I consider that every time I act unsafe, or feel morally justified in being a nasty person, or worst of all, feel morally obligated to do terrible things. I know that I run the risk of doing unknown damage to people's lives. Honeymoon Express is an amazing episode, but the lesson I draw from it is reflected in smaller ways all through the series. That lesson is, doing the right thing has good results. It's very simple, but life can often seem to complicate things and make you think that accomplishing a certain goal is more important than doing the right thing. That principle also informs my decision making. So I go through my life, doing the best that I can, and occasionally I hear or see someone stumbling through something that they should be familiar with, and I wonder if some quantum leaper has taken the regular guy's place for a little while. If so, I wish him luck on his particular mission and continue with my own, because I like to imagine that I'm doing something similar to Sam Beckett, just without the time travel. So what did you think of Juan's voice work? Great job, dude. He was really worried that we wouldn't like his voice, but I think he's got a great voice for uh, podcasting. Were you a little scared? Me? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I was expecting anything, but I was very <laughs> pleased. Yeah, and, you did good. Uh, the way we're all inclusive and we do blind casting, <laughs> it doesn't really matter how good or bad he sound, we would have used it anyway, because it's not about what you are, it's about who you are. Yes, very good, very good, very deep. We'll probably hear a lot more from him in the future. I think he's our new essay reader. Yeah, we'll give him that. And anything else? Maybe he could start reading the recaps. <laughs> no, that's all you. <laughs> okay. You can't get out of that one. Okay. So just a refresher on our essay contest, we would like to hear what Quantum Leap means to you. It's affected a lot of people. I mean, I, I, this is my first time going through all this. I am the newbie. But anybody that comes along with us on this journey that's already seen the show, we hear all these great stories about how they watched it with their parents or they watched it with their first love and how it changed how they saw their life and made decisions. And 
They're all great stories. So we want to know, you know, what Quantum Leap means to you. How has it affected your life? How has it made your decision making different and how it made your life better? Because come on, it's Quantum Leap. And as a bonus, most likely you're going to win a comic book from the 90s all about Quantum Leap. We have a few left. And then after they're all given away, everyone who's received a comic book in the essay giveaway is also entered in another giveaway for a grand prize, which is really nice if you're into Quantum Leap comic books, which is all that comic book art. And you can find out more about that on our Facebook page and QuantumLeapPodcast.com. Also... There is still time to get in on our Facebook giveaway. If you haven't yet, go to facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast and share our post. Complete with the photo and link, and you can win any one season of your choosing of Quantum Leap on DVD. Shipped directly to you from amazon.com. Um, the giveaway ends May 31st, 2014, and go to quantumleappodcast.com for more information. Speaking of Amazon.com, a way to help out the show without having to spend extra money, all you have to do is, whenever you want to shop online, go to quantumleappodcast.com slash Amazon, which is our affiliate link to Amazon. Shop as you normally would, and Quantum Leap Podcast will get up to 4% commission on everything you buy, at no extra cost to you. So if you always shop at Amazon or are just thinking about it, remember to go to quantumleappodcast.com slash Amazon every time to help out the show. And you can put in your favorites as Amazon, but make sure the link is quantumleappodcast.com slash Amazon. And if you use that every time, it'll really help out the show and it'll help us cover production costs and serving costs and all that stuff. Okay, we have other feedback. We have some Twitter feedback. And this is from David. And this is referring to our special we put out not too long ago with an interview with the actress Jane Sibbett from an episode of Quantum Leap. And uh, David says on Twitter, at Quantum Leap Pod, make sure to have Jane's friend touch you to cure your tumor. This woman is dangerous. Shame on Quantum Leap Podcast, QLP, for posting this crap. So he didn't like that. I apologize for offending you, David. I never even thought it would offend anyone. I was just super excited to get Jane Sibbett, and uh, everyone does these interviews for us out of the kindness of their heart. Um, we don't pay them to do it. They just do it for us and the fans of Quantum Leap. And as a courtesy in return, we ask them if they have anything coming up, any projects or charities that they'd like to talk about, because that's just, you know, nice. And um, she had something to talk about, and I let her, and that's kind of the deal. Normally at the end of our show, in the credits, read by the amazing John Bucanis, we have a disclaimer that says, okay, I'm going to read this. The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent or reflect the opinions of the Quantum Leap podcast, Baron Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. Um, I didn't, however, put that disclaimer at the end of the special interview. I was just trying to get it out really quick so everybody could listen to it. I just assumed that regular listeners knew that part already. But, you know, in the future, I'll put the disclaimer at the end of everything we do. I do see your point, though, David. As a skeptic myself, I have kind of acquired a filter. So if I don't necessarily agree or believe in what somebody is saying, I kind of just let them say it and my brain filters it out. And I wrongly assumed, I guess, that everyone else had the same filter. But again, I assumed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's hard because she's trying to get the word out. And that's one of the main reasons why she wanted to do this interview. And that's why she wanted to do it kind of ahead of schedule too, because she had this event coming up. If we had said to her, hey, we don't really agree with that. So you can't come on our show or anything like that. We wouldn't have gotten the interview. So we need to support these actors who are willing to do our interviews and whatever they're promoting. That's great. Promote your stuff. 
we enjoy the interview and it's an experience that normally we wouldn't get. So if they want to promote something, it's kind of like an even trade for us. I honestly don't think that if you didn't believe in faith healing before the Jane Sibbett interview, you're not going to believe it after. I don't think she changed anybody's minds. Right. But if you are interested in what she had to say and she said, hey, come see us and you were like, hey, that's a great opportunity, then she just got more publicity for her event. Also, another point is we have a lot of listener feedback that mentions different kinds of uh, faith-based beliefs. The show we do our podcast on, Quantum Leap, is, you know, mentions faith a lot and different religions a lot. And uh, I haven't omitted or censored any other people's beliefs or religions out because it's not my place to judge what religion is right and what is wrong. And everybody's got the right to say what they think. We learned that in Good Morning Peoria about, you know, freedom of speech. Right. But just because you don't agree with someone doesn't mean that their beliefs are true or untrue or that they're wrong. Right. If I don't agree with someone doesn't mean they're wrong. Right. So I include everything. And then normally I include the uh, disclaimer at the back. And I try not to let my personal beliefs affect the Quantum Leap podcast because this show isn't about me. It's not about Heather. It's about Quantum Leap. Everyone's entitled to their opinions. And we hope that you still listen to our show. We hope that we didn't anger you or or anything like that. But it's really hard to talk about a show that's based on faith and a show that has tons of people involved in it with tons of different beliefs and not come to an an issue like this. So I I think that this was, you know, unavoidable that eventually someone would disagree with with something that we had to say or that someone on our show had to say. And if we can't please everybody. (laughs) No. If you want a show about Albie, though, you can go to Albie.ws and I have a show called A Conversation with Albie. Where you share all of your beliefs and opinions. Exactly. And that's also my blog. So I'm very me there. And uh, if you want to know more about me, you can check that out. And speaking of interviews, we actually have a great one coming up in a couple episodes with Carolyn Seymour, which I'm really excited about. I kind of got a glimpse of it. So I'm, I'm excited for you guys to hear it. She's in an episode coming up that's after Catch a Falling Star, which is a portrait for Troyan. And she plays a maid, but she's also the hologram for the evil Leaper, if you know what I'm saying. She plays Zoe. So that's exciting to have her on the show. And she's a veteran of stage and screen. And she's been in so many cool sci-fi and fantasy genre programs and movies that it was a big pleasure to talk to her. And I'm excited for you to hear that coming up in a few episodes. And we have some email. This one's from Father Beast, and it's about this episode. Lots of cool stuff about this episode. Besides the way it immediately portrays Sam's basic commitment to doing the right thing and how he sticks to it for almost a day before Al even shows up, that incident indicates that time is at least consistent within a leap between the past and the future. Al didn't show up because it took most of the day for them to get any useful identifying info from Leonard in the waiting room. So it seems that when a new leapy appears in the waiting room, they have to get some information out of him in order to be able to locate Dr. Beckett in time. Anyway, this is a fairly gripping, even if it is a weird combination of To Kill a Mockingbird and Perry Mason. Sam is going all out to save her, even though she is giving him nothing at all to work with, which is a situation Sam is rather overly familiar with. My own first clue came after he visited the woman Myrtle, and she said she could not swear on no Bible. I wondered if that was because she adhered to some other religion, but that didn't seem to make sense. Then Delilah used the same words, I can't swear on no Bible, and I wondered for half a second if she was adherent of this other religion also but she wore a cross. Then it dawned on me. She wouldn't swear because if she did, she would tell the truth. She was hiding something, something that was worth her life. But Sam, who realized this before I did, persisted until he found the truth and brought it forth. And the truth made Delilah free. 
The revelation that she could not read seemed like just a plot point to demonstrate to the viewer just how fallacious that confession was. But they followed up on it at the end, and even though we don't get Al's revised future notes, we know that if she learns how to read, life will have more for her. I also liked that the court disrupting revelation that ended the trial was very Perry Mason-like. My wife watched this with me, though she had refused to watch Jimmy, and said this was the episode that really impressed her and made her make a point of watching this show. Next time, the play's the thing. Father Beast. The play is the thing. I'm looking forward to next time. Thank you, Father Beast. Hopefully this is a regular thing that's going to happen. Yes, I, I like hearing him, his input on the show. And we had some other feedback that said people went to quantumleappodcast.com slash canpakes and were disappointed when they couldn't order any. So I did put something there now. Yeah, go check it out. There are many ways to get a hold of the Quantum Leap Podcast. First of all, you can go to quantumleappodcast.com, check us out, and see all the different feedback ways there. And there's also Twitter, where we are Quantum Leap Pod. And there's Instagram, which we are the Quantum Leap Podcast. Of course, the Facebook page is always booming with pictures and questions. And Hayden pretty much keeps our Facebook page very busy. He is our social media ambassador. Definitely. So that's an awesome page to check out because we have over 1,500 people on our Facebook page. So there's tons of Quantum Leap fans just like you waiting to talk about Quantum Leap. You can always email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. Or you can call us and leave a voicemail. Have your voice featured on the show. So you can call us at 707-847-6682 and leave us a voicemail. Now we have a segment from Hayden McQueenie. Read by Juan. And as stated earlier, it talks about the good and the bad in religion and how it's brought up in this episode. And uh, Hayden expands on that. What an awkward situation Sam leapt into as a defense attorney, being immediately asked to make his client's plea, before even having a moment to get his thoughts together. Sam probably thought that God, time, fate, whatever, enjoyed watching him sweat or otherwise had very bad aim, but is this really the case? Let's remember that Al didn't arrive to help Sam until the next morning, partially because he had to help counsel the leapy Leonard in the waiting room, and partially because after he and Gushy had Ziggy run numerous scenarios, they still had no idea why Sam had leapt there. If Sam had leapt in the lantern any later than he did, the original guilty plea would have been entered and nothing would have changed. And if Sam had leapt into Leonard any earlier than he did, he would have gone over Lila's case and Al would have told him the original outcome. They would have assumed that she was guilty and entered the same original plea, thereby also not changing anything. What has now become clear is that the only way Sam actually could affect the outcome, to reveal the truth and to make it so Lila could live her life, was for him to leap in exactly when he did. By putting him on the spot, Sam had to rely on his instincts, which, as I've said before, are nearly always right. It's lucky that Sam is a good judge of character and thought to look for the truth in Lila's eyes, and I doubt that anyone other than Sam would have done that and come to that conclusion. Speaking of his instincts, Sam could have changed his plea at any time, and with such incontrovertible evidence against Lila, on the surface it would have appeared to be the best option. But because Sam is so good at reading people, with a town's massive bias against Lila and black people in general, 
he quickly realized that their supposed leniency towards Lila, allowing her to plead guilty and not to receive the death penalty, was completely against character, and helping him realize that there must be something being hidden to prevent the truth from coming out. I also feel it's prudent to point out the underlying theological themes to this episode. Religion has a lot of good points, such as the sense of community that the congregation brings, the emotional and financial support that the church provides to people who are finding times difficult, and the feelings of inner peace that come from feeling like you have the support of a higher power. But there are a lot of negative points to religion as well, and the writing in this episode is brilliant, because even though it has an overt theme of trying to be a good Christian, the more observant viewer would also take notice of them pointing out some of the biggest problems with religion in general, however subtly. Apart from true psychopaths, the vast majority of people have a sense of goodness and morality, wishing health, happiness, and prosperity to all people. Most people don't need to be told that doing horrible things is wrong. If the only reason you're doing the right thing is from fear of being damned for all eternity, then you're not a good person. Similarly, if you try to sway trusting, weak-minded, or easily swayed people to do your bidding by threatening them with being tortured forever and even if they don't, then you're also not a good person. In any other context besides religion, any individual who does this would be charged with assault, and any organization that does this would be labeled a dangerous cult. The rhetorical question that Sam asks Al, why did they make you swear on a Bible, is very fitting. They come to the conclusion that God-fearing people such as Lila and Myrtle would tell the truth, even if it incriminated them or someone else that they care very deeply about. The fact that Captain Carter, a powerful and intelligent man, can use their fear of hell to oppress Myrtle and Lila to the point where they're too scared to tell the truth, even to save Lila's life, illustrates this point perfectly. I'm very glad that a verse in the Bible is what provides the solution to this conundrum that Myrtle was facing. Galatians chapter 5 verse 7 to 10 Ye did run well, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord, that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. The moral of the story is that the vast majority of the time, you know what is right, and you should always be truthful, and do what you think is the right thing. God should not be feared. He gave us independent thought for a reason. Don't let anybody sway you if what they are saying does not make any sense and makes you go against your moral code. May whatever God you believe in bless you, and if you don't believe in God, may you bless each other. It's that time of the episode where a lot of people look forward to. Do you have some trivia for us? So the captain's driving Sam home and they stop at the stop sign for a really long time. But that's another point. And the car behind them that stops is the blue Chevrolet that was used as Dottie's car in eight and a half months. Okay, so you haven't seen that episode. No. But it'll be interesting when we get there. Little bit of trivia. I like that. Yeah, that car scene was crazy. They were stopping at the stop sign like it was a stoplight. The captain was there for a good minute and a half. Yeah, maybe that's just the the southern gentlemanly way to drive. <laughs> Part of me thought, 
wouldn't the person behind him honk or something? But then I thought, nope, he's the captain. I thought the same thing. But you know what was even weirder is when they pulled up, it looked like they were stopped in the middle of the intersection. Yes, it just didn't. It wasn't right. And I think it had to do with the fact that the car was being towed behind a trailer and the guy wasn't actually driving. So when they did stop, they stopped after the stop sign for some reason. Not sure. Small TVs. <laughs> Overly picky podcast hosts <laughs> <laughs> it's just something that you pick out the third or fourth time yeah you're like because you're watching looks the weird yeah, yeah. yeah so help me god was the first of five episodes set in louisiana of the other four three were in the trilogy and the other was southern comforts new orleans was mentioned in at least two other episodes the great spontini and her charm Ooh, i have not seen any of those episodes except so help me god things that are coming in the future i've never been to louisiana but a lot of shows take place especially scott bacula's new uh show maybe he just liked the non-air conditioning i'm assuming they have air conditioning now Ah, uh, if not i'm not gonna visit <laughs> right 12 oaks parish was where this episode took place all right that is not an actual parish in louisiana you cannot go to 12 oaks parish no okay but it is the name of the wilkes family plantation in gone with the wind the book so another gone with the wind reference right pretty cool and trilogy took place in potter parish which I guess isn't real either. Only Southern Comforts, which was set in New Orleans, was in a real Louisiana parish, which was Orleans Parish. Trilogy, Deborah Pratt again, so... Maybe she likes New Orleans. Hey, I've never been there, but looking forward to going there one day. I heard they got great muffaladas. They probably have really awesome food. When Sam gets caught hugging Delilah, and the sheriff who walks in makes it a big deal, which I don't even understand why it's a big deal. On his arm, it says County Sheriff, which is not really accurate considering it should say parish sheriff, which is hard to say. That is hard to say. Maybe that's why it doesn't say it. Parish sheriff. Parish sheriff? It sounds like a pair of sheriffs. (laughs) So it's not a county sheriff. It's a parish sheriff. A little bit of a production error. Did they have parishes instead of counties? Is that how that was? I think, yeah. Like some states have boroughs and things are called different things. Things are called different things. That's a good observation. (laughs) That is my observation. That is my (laughs) knowledge for this episode. Things are called different things. Just in case you were wondering, defending an African-American woman against a powerful Southern white family, the story is reminiscent of the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. (laughs) Ah, yes. We might have mentioned that. (laughs) Which was uh, in 1962, it says, so kind of the same in 1957, kind of the same. When Sam leaps in to his host aura, I don't want to say it wrong. (laughs) When Sam leaps in... When Sam physically leaps in and other people see the aura of the person that was there previously. Right. Um, When that whole thing happens, Sam is still Sam. So he should not have needed glasses in this episode. And he should have had problems seeing with Leonard's glasses on, but he didn't. That makes sense. Because in Blind Faith, he leaped into a blind man and he could still see. Right. So that was a little boo-boo. Little bit. It added to his character, I think. But the reason he could still see through them was because it's just plain glass. There was no... Maybe Leonard didn't need glasses either. And he just wore them as like a character... To look smarter, maybe. Right. So that's an in-universe explanation. But I understand what they're saying. So if he could see when he was in the aura of a blind man, he would have trouble seeing if he had perfect vision and he wore corrective lenses. When I watched this episode, I'm thinking maybe, what, three days it took, right? It would seem. But July 29th, 1957 was a Monday and the judge adjourns court until Monday morning. So that's like a week at least. A week before the trial starts. And then there's a couple days after because she's getting on the bus. 
So probably like eight or nine days. But we have the impression that it's three days. That's probably due to the fact that, again, the date they picked, they didn't bother looking up what day that was actually on. Their Ziggy hand link was just not functioning while they were writing this episode. <laughs> when you're watching the episode, it seems like it might be Thursday or Friday because they adjourned till Monday. But it, the date was an actual Monday, so they adjourned for a week. And we didn't see really what happened in that week to Sam. He was playing a lot of Rhett Butler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he was busy. <laughs> Are you excited for next week's episode? Yeah, I like musicals. This is about a musical, it looks like. I might have let that cat out of the bag. I I might have told you it was about the Man of La Mancha. Which you've been playing the soundtrack for a few days, and I'm afraid I might be tired of it by the time we watch the episode. I have. I'm pretty guilty of that. I watched the episode before you, of course, to check it out, and I really enjoyed it. Spoiler alert for next episode, and uh, hopefully you will too. Five, four, three... Two, one, you're on. Oh boy. Al. Al. Uh, what? I'm an actor. You lucky dog. I'd love to be standing in your makeup. Yeah, you go on when he can't. When he can't. When he, when he can't go on, I can't go on. I'm not an actor. I hate to say this, but he's terrific. Mm. But not for long. In three days, at a benefit performance, he does a Gerald Ford impersonation on that stairway right there. Shatters his leg, his hip, and his career. So all I have to do is stop him from tripping down those stairs. It's Nicole. Nicole? She was my piano teacher when I was a kid. She could tickle my ivories anytime. She was the first woman I ever loved. I could never forget you, Nicole. You're gonna save John from falling down the stairway. Let him break his neck. John, break a leg. Yeah, I've heard good things about this episode, and I think you mentioned something about Scott Bakula actually really wanting to do this episode, so I'm sure his performance is gonna be great. Yeah, he's uh, really good at musical theater, and this episode really showcases that coming up. Until next time, this is Heather. And this is Albie, and I ain't swearing on no Bible. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Go to quantumleappodcast.com to listen to new episodes. The Quantum Leap Podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal TV. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to get behind-the-scenes information, exclusive content, and to be notified first when a new episode is available. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, Baron Space Productions, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie and Juan, researched by Juan, voice talent by John Buchanan. The Quantum Leap Universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal TV. No infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a barren space production. Myrtle's description. Sorry. You suck. Mm-hmm. Say that again. Because you weren't listening to me? No, the or whatever. Or whatever. No, don't say what or what. Say it again without saying or whatever. I just cut out the or whatever. It's hard because there's one sound. I'm just being asking. I'm sorry. I just cut the whole thing out. I don't know. I, I don't remember what I said. Okay, I'll do my best. Going down, 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 down. Why can't I hear myself? Because you turned me down. We're good. Hello, 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 hello,
Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Blooper rule. Blooper rule. (laughs) That should be the introduction. So when I was not even going to say it and it still came out. So they mentioned 12 Oaks Paris. Oh, I did it again. I can't not. I don't even think about it. So, you know, when damn it. Oh, I need a new word.